0: As a Christian, what is our job description? What, what, is, what is it that we do? What's the main thing as a Christian? What's our job description? I believe the Apostle Paul in the passage that Mike read for us gives us a critical part of our job description. Right right in the middle, in verse 2. I'm not alone in thinking that, by the way. But before I explain that, let me, let me offer some popular alternatives to the way people think about the job description of a Christian. When I was young and growing up in a a little Baptist church in the Bible Belt, I came to believe that the job description for a Christian was to uh, be nice to everyone, to uh, don't say any cuss words, uh, know as much about the Bible as you can, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, or go out with girls who do, and be able to pray in public so you won't embarrass your parents. I'm not saying that that's the way the job description was Uh, communicated, but that's what I heard. Some of you who grew up in the Catholic tradition, you may have thought that the job description for being a Christian was something like, go to Mass every Sunday, be nice to everyone, go to Catholic school at least through elementary, don't eat fish on Friday, and be cautious with Protestants, especially of the opposite sex. And if you are under 30 and you consume any media then chances are you might be tempted at least to think that the job description for a Christian is to be a social conservative and a jerk about it, to be against whole groups of people who just want to live their lives, to be arrogantly oppressive to all other religions all when you think that you're doing good things. And you might even admit that reluctantly. But actually, according to the New Testament, the job description for a Christian is simpler than that. It is to be, well, simpler and more complicated. It is to be a follower of Jesus. And the New Testament calls that a disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. Now, disciple, in its basic sense, it means a learner, a student, a devotee. In the ancient world, rabbis often had disciples usually and and disciples would usually seek out a rabbi much the way we might uh, seek out going somewhere to college if we decide to go to college you know they, they would hear about a rabbi who had an excellent reputation or there was one that lived somewhat near them and they would want to study more and they would inquire of the rabbi and apply, if you will, and they might even get references from their local synagogue or their local religious uh, leader or teacher. Interestingly, Jesus exclusively chose his disciples. He picked them. And in choosing, he challenged them to do this. He said, follow me. This was kind of like discipleship on steroids. So in the most general sense, we could say the disciple of Jesus is someone who is learning to live and to love like Jesus. They're a devotee of him. They're following his way. There's someone who's learning to live and love like Jesus did. So let's expand now on our job description. Our job description as a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple and specifically learn to live and love like Jesus did. All right. I want you to notice in this, look carefully, in this job description there is no mention of religious practices here. There's no mention of prayer or even doing good deeds. That's not because we don't pray or try to do good things. That's because those activities are not the point. They aren't the core activity of our job description. We don't pray because that's our job. We pray because Jesus prayed. Prayer is the way that Jesus related to the Father. And if we're going to live and love like Jesus, then we'll pray. And we don't do good things because that's our job. That's not our responsibility. We do good things because Jesus did good things and as we become more like him, living and loving like he did, then good deeds just flows out of us. Also notice, there's no mention of the Bible in our job description. And by the way, the people in Jesus' day who knew the Bible the best, they completely missed him. It was the Pharisees. And They miss Jesus entirely. Our job is not to know the Bible. The point, the essence of our job is to live and to love like Jesus did. We read the Bible because that's our sole source for knowing how Jesus lived and loved and because God uniquely inspired the Bible. It is the essential story of Jesus without any errors. So if we're going to live and love like Jesus, then we have to know the Bible. But that's not our job. The point of the exercise is to live and love like Jesus did. Okay, that sets us up to think about what Paul says in our passage today. Because in today's passage, Paul reminds us that there's there's more to it. There's, There's still more to the Christian's job description. There's something in our job description that I often forget. I think people in the church in general often forget this. It's a critical part of our job description as Christians. It's what one commentary called, quote, the very heart of what Paul wanted Timothy to remember. And and Timothy, by the way, was a disciple, a mentee of Paul. And the very heart of what Paul wanted Timothy to remember is this. Paul told us in verse 2, The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So let's revisit our job description first. Be a follower of Jesus or a disciple, which means specifically learning to live and love like Jesus, and be a disciple maker. Both of those responsibilities are equally important. I think one is easily forgotten by us, meaning we have been and are being discipled in part so that we can build disciples out of others. Who will in turn build disciples out of others? Who will in turn build disciples out of others? We are to take what we have learned from the apostles and pour that into reliable people who will pour the same thing into others. And that's what these men did, these first followers of Jesus. One of them, Thomas, he went as far as, according to Christian tradition, he went as far as the Indian subcontinent to share this story and in sharing that story then he found people who shared it then with others, who eventually shared it with others, who eventually shared it with others, who eventually shared it with some of you. And Philip, we're told, went to Ethiopia because he wanted to share this story, and he found people that, with whom he could share this story, who in turn would share this story with others, who eventually shared this story with others, and some of those others moved to America and are part of our church. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter went to Rome, gave their lives, by the way, sharing this story so that others would share this story. And then it spread throughout Europe as people shared that story. And then some eventually came to America and shared that story with others who were able to share that story with others until someone eventually told me. I just made it sound like I was the point of that whole thing, didn't I? This was Jesus' method For sharing God's love with the world. Let me say that again. This was Jesus' method for sharing God's love with the world. Let me prove that to you. If you're familiar with the New Testament and with Jesus' life, you may have noticed that he spent an incredible amount of time investing in a very, very small circle of people. He certainly ministered at times, in crowds, and to the crowds. He, he even held mass speaking engagements, but the majority, the overwhelming majority of his time was spent <coughs> with a small circle of disciples. And as his death drew near, and he knew it was coming, as his death drew near, he got more and more concentrated on a smaller and smaller circle of people. Wait, wasn't he the savior of the world? <laughs> I mean, didn't he need to get the word out? And yet... This was his method for sharing God's love with the world, to invest in a small group of people who would then, each of them, invest in a small group of people who would invest in a small group of people, et cetera, et cetera. Why in the world would Jesus choose this method as opposed to a, a, a mass evangelism or a, a dramatic light show? Well... Uh, let me give you two reasons. There may be more, but let me give you two reasons why this was Jesus's method. First of all, this is how real change happens in us. Life on life. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says "As Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It, it, it takes a piece of iron to sharpen a piece of iron. Sometimes sparks fly, but sharpening happens. This is how change happens in us and for us real change does not come by you hearing me lecture this is very discouraging truth for me but it's true I'm just not that important nor are any of the internet uh, speakers that you listen to we can be inspired by those talks we can even be adjusted by those lessons but real change will not happen without those lessons being massaged into our character and behavior by the process of iron sharpening iron. Second reason I think that this was Jesus' method was just logistical. I'm going to have to show you this one so you'll believe me. Uh, Jesus knew, I believe, that the greatest impact was not going to happen through large-scale events or dramatic light shows. Great impact was going to happen through the multiplying effect of life on life. So have you heard this illustration in financial planning before, maybe, or somewhere you may have heard this, but uh, would you rather be given a million dollars today or be given a dollar today and then have that dollar multiply, double, every day for 25 days, which would you choose? Uh, I I want you to see this. Pull the next slide up, Pete. So day one, you could be given a million dollars or you get a dollar. By day seven, you, if you chose a million dollars, you've already bought your boat. And day seven, if you chose a dollar and let it double, you got 64 bucks. Way to go. Bring the next slide up, Pete. Day 13, you have now bought your boat and you've sailed to the Bahamas. Or you got $4,096. But day 18 you got $131,072. And pull up the last slide, Pete. I want you to look at day 25. Just by having it double each day, on day 25 alone, you'll rake in $16,777,216. Our job description as a Christian is to follow Jesus and to do what Jesus did. Make disciples. Now, the second part, that business of making disciples, stay with me, that second part is going to be our focus this fall here at Gateway as a whole church. We're going to dig into the discipleship process, both learning to live and love like Jesus and learning to help others do the same. We'll begin that process by going through some core discipleship materials in small groups. The material is a six-week curriculum. We're all going to do this, and it covers some very basic truths like, you know, who God is and the Jesus story and and how you pray. The point of this exercise is both the material itself and the discipline of going through the material with one another life on life. Are you with me so far? Uh, In other words, the material itself helps lay a foundation for for some of what we need to know to to live and to love like Jesus. But the group experience will help us learn more about how to pass that on to others. Plus, the group experience will give us a chance, as I said, to be iron on iron, sharpening one another. In fact, I'm praying that after we've been through this this curriculum this fall together, I'm praying that many of us will be inspired to pass it on to others, to pass using this material, Um, maybe one of our children or a neighbor, or a coworker who is spiritually curious, or someone that we're coaching in wrestling. That means if you are in one of our small groups, then you will be going through this material this fall with your group, like the rest of us. If you're not in a small group, please sign up for one of our groups or for a, a new discipleship pod that we'll be forming to accommodate you. Please sign up. We're all doing this. Now to kick that whole affair off, we've asked the author of the material to come inspire us, train us, and launch us. She's coming this coming Saturday to spend the day with us here, and I really hope you can come this Saturday. Details are on mygateway.life, but she'll be here this Saturday to launch us on this project. All right, let me address a few questions before we leave. First of all, Ed, is this for everyone? Yes, Ed said. As I said, this is the basic job description for Christians, for all Christians. And this is what we're going to be doing this year as a church. It's for all of us. Please sign up. Second question, what about if I'm just starting out spiritually and I don't know much at all? perfect. You may even be where Rufin was when he met Mike. Or you may be be in, but you don't really know much at all. That's perfect. This material actually is designed for you specifically. And going through it with a group will be just what you need to take next steps spiritually. You'll find that you don't need to know anything to participate in this. You just need to be open to the process. Please sign up. We will work really hard to make it easy and comfortable for you, even if you've never done anything like this before. Third question. Ed, do you think everyone is going to come? Will everyone join in with this? No, I don't think so, if I'm honest. I know that a few of us are already pretty excited. Some of you, about this whole process, some of you are thinking, you know, it's about time. Let's go, Gateway. Gateway. And then there are a few others of you who are thinking, okay, you know, I'll try it. I mean, I'm, I'm a good student. Let's, let's see what happens. Could be good. Many of us are thinking, meh, I'm really busy this fall. I certainly can't give up half a Saturday next week. What's the point, really? I've got a busy fall schedule. We got gymnastics. We got, we got two soccer teams. I'll be out of town, I know, at least twice with the family, so probably not. So let me speak honestly to those of us in that last category. This is what we will be doing this fall. We'll be talking about it. We'll be supporting it. We'll be celebrating it. I hope and I believe you'll catch a little of it from the sidelines, and I hope you will be a little more inspired to join us the next round But this is what we're doing I hope it will feel increasingly like like something you'd like to participate in and I pray that that busyness will not prevent you from doing so and if I'm honest I think you'll you'll be missing out but I hope that's only temporarily let me be honest about one more thing here don't snooze on this Disciple-making, this process that we're talking about, the second part of our job description, this thing that, that Paul wanted to hunker down on, maybe the very heart of what he wanted Timothy to remember, the, the disciple-making is costly. It takes energy, it takes intention, it takes time, it, it might even cost you a car. <laughs> Whether it's with your own children or your own family, with a neighbor or with others here at church. It takes energy, it takes intention, it takes time. And if you're hesitant because you're not that kind of person, and I've heard that many times, well, you need to know this isn't easy for any of us. There is no kind of person for, for whom they think, yay, I get to have my car totaled. Yay! I get to sacrifice and have somebody with my family on Christmas morning. Yay! Yay! I'm I I need to I'm I've got a headache and I need to take this phone call. Yay! Nobody, this is not for anyone, but it's for for all of us because the Holy Spirit's in us and He inspires us. I'm getting ahead of myself. This that's just the truth. Nobody is naturally and easily this kind of person. I believe that's why Paul says what he says immediately after he he offered up this this charge in in, in verse 2. Let's look at it again. He said this, And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And then right away, look at this, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules, and the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Join with me in suffering, he says. Now look, there are those who believe that this is a brand new topic for Paul here in verse 3. In other words, Timothy, be a disciple maker, that's, on, that's your job description. Now on to another topic, suffer along with me. But, but I have to agree with most who study this passage and suggest that the two are intimately related, that the idea of being a disciple maker immediately brought, brought to, to Paul's mind the analogies that he rolls through in verses 4 through 6. I'm going to say that again. I believe the idea of being a disciple-maker immediately called to Paul's mind the analogies that he rolled through in verses 4 through 6. First of all, he imagines a soldier. With this analogy, Paul is encouraging us toward intense focus, That is, don't get involved in civilian affairs. You're a soldier. Be focused on your job as a soldier. And secondly, he's encouraging obedience. We follow Jesus. That means we obey. That's a critical part of the discipleship process and the disciple-making process. The next analogy is athletics. Here he encourages us toward discipline or right living. An athlete competes according to the rules, he says. The athlete doesn't do whatever she wants, whenever she wants it. She does the right thing in the right way at the right time or she will not excel. She does her job. The third analogy, final, hardworking farmer. Hardworking. These are not casual images. These are not, let's just go hang out. Let's have fun. Illustrations. Disciple-making is costly. It requires focus and obedience and discipline and hard work, and not everyone is ready. Fourth question. So why do, I do it? <laughs> well, we could say many things here, but, but we've got to wrap up. So let's just go to one other passage, a passage, by the way, that also involved Timothy. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 3:6 through 10. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. Paul says this to a different group of Christian friends. He says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Just listen to the intimacy and the, the depth there and what this has done for Paul. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in our distress and persecution, we're encouraged, can also being comforted, about you or by you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let me, let, look at the motivation here. Verse seven, seeing others lear, learning to live and love like Jesus brings us comfort or encouragement. Verse eight, seeing others lear, learn to live and love like Jesus brings us life. This is life-giving. And verse nine, seeing others learn To live in love like Jesus brings us joy. This last one, I want you to listen to how John said this same thing in 3 John verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is joy-giving, life-giving and comforting, encouraging. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and here's your homework. In case you're not clear already. (laughs) Uh, Your homework is to Sign up for Saturday. If this is your first time here and you're not in yet, I get it. Maybe you don't want to sign up for Saturday, but really consider the second part of our homework. Sign up for one of our groups. Uh, If you're already in a small group, giddy up. Let's do this this fall. Let's work through this material, and in the process of working through this material, let's learn how to work others through this material or something like this. This is just a specific method. It's a very good one. This is a specific method. What we're learning here is the the second part of our job description of, of our responsibility to be a Christian. So the homework is sign up for Saturday if you're here and if you're willing, if you haven't already signed up. And secondly, Sign up to join us in this experience this fall. Let me close in prayer. Father, we submit this to you. Uh, You know what, Lord? I ask that um, you would inspire us all to step in both to what we're doing here this fall at Gateway and into this process to courageously at least put our toes in to be willing to step forward. For some of us, Lord, this is a reminder. We've done this with a a lot of our lives, and this is a reminder that this is a great time. Giddy up this fall. You're bringing people into our lives that you're going to want us to exercise ourselves with and toward. And for others of us, Lord, we might be on the other side of this. We need people to speak into our lives, and so help us to step up to that and step in. I want to pray that you will remove obstacles. First of all, schedule obstacles. I mean, that's a reality. We are, are, frankly, sometimes we're too busy to be a Christian. We're too busy to be the parent we want to be. You know, clear the way, the the neighbor we want to be, clear the way for us, Lord, and emotionally remove obstacles to digging in with other people. It's not easy but it's so rich it's so comforting and life giving and joy building so uh, Lord we I, we give ourselves to you and, and um, ask for your inspiration, for your strengthening for your equipping we give you our church this fall use us to be the next wave of people who are going to tell people who will then tell people we submit to you Thank <music> you.